They tried to stop my shine, but I said, hold up. Y'all know how many hoes done tried to hold this hoe up. Tokyo Talk boy. to music. I say dig if you will. 80s kid from D.C. Prince Purple Rain Tour. Cap Center M.D. Never imagined such a day that he would be gone. But it's true what they say, that the spirit lives on. What's up? How's everybody this week? No, it's been a while, but how's everybody this week? Okay. Hey, everybody. What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome to Craig's Pop Life, a black gay excursion into pop culture. I'm your host, Craig Seymour, but you know me. I've been writing about pop culture for more than 20 years now. You can read some of my music writing at rnbeing.com. I'm also an author who has written a number of books. You got the biography, Luther, The Life and Longing of Luther Vandross. It's Christmas season coming up. Y'all know going to play every year, every Christmas, if y'all ain't already playing it now. Um, my memoir about being a grad school stripper hoe, All I Could Bear, My Life in the Strip Clubs of Gay Washington, D.C. My novel about three generations of black gay men looking for love, Who's Your Daddy? And my forthcoming special, The Life and Art of Janet Jackson, um, which is the reason why... My podcasts have been more sporadic because I'm really um, in the finishing stages. And I've explained this a little bit before, but I don't have access to the room that I record in all the time. There are only certain times I have access. And I'm in the process of the book at this point where it's hard for me to always know how to stop, to, to stop at the exact time I have access. And sometimes it just goes on and on and on. So I'm very sorry that things are sporadic, but we're going to get you things back on track eventually and not only are things going to be back on track but you're going to have a book a Janet Jackson book to hold with you while you roll down the track okay so anyway I'm very glad to be back with you um and this week you know I'm going to pop in to talk about a couple things definitely going to weigh in on the Robin Crawford book as soon as that comes out and I can make my way through it but this week um I'm going to talk about another memoir and it's the beautiful ones um the memoir Prince was working on at the time of his death and you may recall that a couple of shows ago I talked about Mar- Morris Day's recent memoir which almost solely focused on his relationship with Prince so now this Prince memoir, Prince was working with this guy named Dan Pipenbring. I, I hope that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he was working with a guy named Dan, okay? And um, he, the guy he was working with, Dan, he'd never written a book, but he was the editor, uh, an editor at the literary magazine, The Paris Review. And Prince had a stipulation that he really wanted to work with a newcomer. So, like, they had run an excerpt of this book. I think it was in The New Yorker. They had run a, not really an excerpt, but kind of like a story behind the story of this book in The New Yorker a couple weeks ago. And I'm reading the whole thing, and, like, I hate when stories don't know, don't, I say, is the man black or white or whatever? What's his race, ethnicity, whatever? I, I, I hate that assumption that you, you know, 
don't mention such a thing, especially when you're dealing with an African-American performer. Do you know what I mean? That definitely brings um, race to the table and like, and just the assumption that the people reading it wouldn't care whether he was black or white. And, and you know, that that it's not a good or bad thing. It's just, it's more information for me to know about the writer. Like I know that he hasn't written a book before. That's information, but definitely how, how a, I think of how a white man of a certain age and how a black man of a certain age would relate to Prince's music and to kind of the um, Prince's, the way that he sort of challenged and transcended the, um, parameters of black masculinity I just think those things were different I just want to know so finally read the damn book and yes he is white um Dan is white breaking news um and again I make the statement not to criticize the individual but just to reiterate that there are so few opportunities in this industry for black writers to write books about black music so I'm saying and, you know, it has to be, once somebody's written a whole ass book, you know, they've done the research and everything. They deserve that book to, to, to the, the book to stand on its own merits. And if there's a racial critique of it, fine. But if there's not, fine, it should be supported too. The time is now to just have a general conversation about how we can get more black writers, more books by black writers on black, black music. You know, the t this is the time before the the contracts are signed and stuff like that. So, I, and I don't really know exactly how to go about that. And part of me feels always feels weird about it because it feels sort of self-serving. And it is sort of self-serving because I'm a black writer that writes about black music. But I think, you know, maybe it starts just with social media. And just if you're writing about something, just send to the publisher or whatever. You, you know, yes, it, I would like to read more books about, you know, black music by black writers or, or whatever. If they tweet out like something on a black book they're putting out, you know, respond with something like that. If they're trying to do some, you know, Black History Month post, if they're trying to tout one of their black writers, just keep bringing it up and maybe that will start a larger, larger conversation. Because I'll be honest with you, I low key have tried to get writers to at like the big publications um like the publishers weeklies the new york times and stuff like that other places i've like talked to people trying to give them tips about oh have you ever wondered how why there are so few books on black musicians by black writers and nobody's picked up on it but but you know it's just a com it's just it's just we're just early in the conversation and it's a conversation that needs to be had and I'm just gonna be one of those irritating MFs that just keep pushing it forward, pushing forward because I think it's important. It's important for my generation, and it's definitely important for the generation coming up after me. So that is what it is, and I went on long, too much too long on that than I expected. But you know, like I said, it is personal. So now, okay, so they had to deal with the fact that Prince unexpectedly died in the process of doing this memoir. He had written a lot about his early life and stuff but it wasn't he hadn't gotten to a certain place when he um unexpectedly passed so the book is in four parts now the first part is dan's memories um of prince and what happened with the project prior to his death that's where he gets into all the stuff about 
why he was selected and then he was went on like prince's um piano on a microphone tour with him and just did a lot of stuff like that and that's where it's mentioned that he's white um so a lot of working with prince early was just hanging out they went to dance parties at paisley park they saw a kung fu panda three at a local theater and like i said he went to um the piano, he went to several dates of the piano on a microphone, a piano on a microphone tour, and he was actually there with Prince, um, not physically, but they were on the phone, they were in the same town, in the same hotel, when Vanity passed, and they had a conversation that day about, you know, how Prince was going, Prince was going through a bad time, he said it wasn't a good day for him, and then Dan, you know, Googled, and saw that Vanity died, and kind of put two and two together, so, um, but Prince had Prince was wild and just like he was experimental with his music and stuff. He just had a lot of um, different ideas for this book and what it could be. Uh, he did not want it to be a standard memoir. At one point, he told Dan, "The book should be a handbook for the brilliant community, wrapped in autobiography, wrapped in biography. It should teach that you cre- that what you create is yours." If I want this book to be about one overarching thing, it's freedom, and the freedom to create autonomously, without anyone telling you what to do or how or why. So he almost saw it as kind of, um, sorry, I had to adjust my glasses and then just type the mic, sorry. Um, he, he almost saw it very much like an artistic manifesto in many ways that was kind of grounded in his own story. Um, and then, you know, sometimes he would even have grander ambitions than that. One time he asked Dan, can we write a book that solves racism? And then, well, I don't know. There's never been a book, you know, before that has solved racism. There's been books that have addressed racism. Ain't never been one that solved it. But, you know, that's what he was one of his ambitions. Um and this will be interesting for all y'all watch all my watchmen people. And yes, I love the show. I hope y'all watching. I just think it's just amazing that this um, big, huge science fiction production is grounded in a black story. That just feels historic to me. But anyway, um, Dan writes, Prince wanted to teach readers about Black Wall Street, a wellspring of black entrepreneurship that flourished in Tulsa, Oklahoma in the early 20th century. After the Civil War, as freed blacks flocked to booming Tulsa and bought land, segregation forced them to the city's Greenwood neighborhood, where their proprietorship and ingenuity created a thriving community. Soon, Greenwood boasted hundreds of black-owned businesses, plus nearly two dozen churches, two dozen churches, y'all, a school, and a public library. It became one of the first and most essential examples of black prosperity in the United States. It's amazing, Prince said, the wealth amassing. I love reading about the Civil War and the amassing of wealth when the South became wealthier than Britain. But then, of course, this is Dan, back to Dan, then came Tulsa's 1921 race massacre, their hatred fanned by accusations that a black boy had raped a white girl. Thousands of armed whites doused Greenwood in kerosene and burned it down block by block, looting and plundering as they went. Hundreds died. Thousands more lost their homes. 
Black Wall Street was decimated. So again, that's just particularly interesting that he was obsessed with the story at a time, and you know, the book comes out at a time when um, a lot of people um, had never heard of Black Wall Street or knew what happened. I mean, I think particularly white people, but um, but even some black people had never didn't know that story. So, um, you know, just again, interesting. And so after Prince died unexpectedly in April 2016, Dan, along with the editors and executors from the state, were really like shook about what to do with this book because he had written, you know, a good part of it, but it didn't last for his whole life. And it just, they didn't know how to finish it. And so basically, um, they went through his stuff and actually found more writing that he hadn't yet shared with Dan. And it was all, his handwriting was like in those handwriting of his lyrics on the albums. So y'all used to buy albums, you used to see, you know, where the eye is like a drawing of an eye and everything is a t- T-O is just a two, and, you know, a U is just the letter U, all that kind of stuff. That's the way he actually wrote the stuff out. Um, So after the intro about all of that went down, the book goes into pretty much chronological order. Prince just talking about his life from his early life. And he discusses the special relationship he had with his mother. My mother liked to wink at me. I knew what a wink meant before I knew how to spell my name. A wink meant something covert was going on, something special that only those who were in on it could attest. And another thing you should note is the book is actually written with the I's and the twos and all that kind of stuff. So it gets a little um, reading out loud. I'm kind of, you know, I didn't really find it that hard to read it. But I just thought that was such a cool thing. Like his one of his first memories of his mother was this wink and him knowing that a wink kind of like meant some a secret relationship between two people. And if you think about Prince's whole aesthetic, like that was his, he was always kind of winking at the audience and always sort of had special winks for the people that were the real fans and, you know, other things. He was always kind of putting in coded messages or just making people wonder about things. So I just thought that was so fascinating, um, just his description of this, of his mother's wink and just thinking of that as a metaphor for his entire aesthetic and the way that he related to an audience. Um so, and then he talks about his parents' relationship, and it was very rocky. Um, we all saw Purple Rain, but, well, maybe you saw where I can't even assume now, but, like, you know, in Purple Rain, the relationship of the artist is very um, fraught, too. Um, only Prince's actual parents were both black, where I think of the... Purple Rain is interracial. But anyway, he talked about his parents' um, rocky relationship. And this is one of those things, like sometimes things come out inadvertent about a person while you're reading a memoir or something. And it was like early in the book that I felt a sense of this kind of misogynistic streak developing that runs throughout the book because he seems to blame his mother's partying and everything on all the trouble, she, I guess she liked the party. I guess she liked to have have had a drink. Who doesn't like to have a drink every now and then, or just whatever? The bottom line is their parents' relationship um, 
eventually went to a point where his father was physically abusive to his mother. And I don't care how much you partied, you don't deserve to get hit. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I thought it was kind of weird how he was blaming the breakdown of the relationship and almost justifying his father's physical abuse just because his mother, I guess, liked to hang out, you know? Um, and then later when he's talking about the, um, talking about like when he started to get interested in, um, young women in high school and stuff, he derides the so-called quote unquote fast girls who tried to kiss him in school and even called them the ew brigade and saying that they French kiss better than the French as if somehow, you know, a young woman's social autonomy was a turnoff, and he only liked the young women that were, um, I guess, you know, trying to show lack of interest or just whatever, or, you know, but he definitely had a thing against, he definitely had sort of a pejorative attitudes on sexually aggressive, sexually autonomous women, which is just so interesting because people think of like groups like Vanity Six and Apollonia Six and so many of the women that he worked with, Sheila E, um, my fave Jill Jones, people like that, they think of that the work that they did with him could all could be seen as you know very sexually autonomous and adventurous and everything like that. But some people have seen misogynistic strains through that. And it definitely, according to my reading of the book, it definitely had its sources in his actual thoughts. Um, so, because, you know, the other thing about it, too, is that he was relating these thoughts as a teenager. A lot of things, you know, people used to say, oh, that girl's fast, that girl's whatever, whatever, whatever. Back in my day growing up, you know, 70s, 80s, whatever. But like, I think we've now gotten to a point of the conversation that if there's a, if a child is sexually aggressive for some reason, or sort of um, acting sexual, maybe at a too early of an age, we start to think that maybe that child has been sexually abused or something's happened to the child or something like that. So I think we have a much more um, complex way of looking at um, sort of childhood and teenage sexuality. But Prince was writing this as a grown-ass man. It wasn't him writing it as saying, you know, I used to think of them like this. It was him writing, these were the fast girls and I didn't like them. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, I'm, you know, always bringing Janet into stuff, but, you know, it is what it is. But uh, it made me think about um, Janet Jackson's Fast Girls, which was written by Prince's school buddy, Andre Simone, because the song Fast Girls is really a celebration of, you know, sexually adventurous, autonomous women, women like Janet, young women. Janet sings, Fast Girls are true. Fast girls are true. They're all you really need. So I thought that was interesting that, you know, Prince and um, Andre Simone had so different conceptions of what a quote-unquote fast girl was and whether they were desirable or not. So just, you know, little tidbits that I found interesting. Um, now, Prince talks about his musical development and how that was related to his sexual awakening. Because when he was younger, like preteens and stuff, he was really into, like, you know, 
Santana, Jimi Hendrix, Sly and the Family Stone. He said, I couldn't stomach any song without a guitar solo. But now then, cut to some years later, and he's, you know, trying to hook up and do whatnot. He um, was making out with this young woman named Debbie. He said she was like Serena Williams with a perfect afro. Now, she put him on to ballads. Sideshow by Blue Magic, Natural High by Bloodstone, which was used to such beautiful effect in one of my favorite movies, Jackie Brown, just as a side note, but I, I always just, the song just always makes me think about the movie. And Show Me How by one of my favorite um, sister acts, The Emotions. So he writes, Debbie played Show Me How eight times in a row, trying to get me to kiss her on the part that says, I want to kiss you right now. I finally kissed Debbie because I couldn't bear hearing the emotions sing Show Me How nine more times. But anyway, this experience led him to believe that a good ballad should always put you in the mood for doing the two. Um, now, interestingly enough, and this is tea, a little bit of tea, Prince then goes on to use Do Me Baby as an example of one of his best ballads. But if you remember from my review of the Morris Day memoir um, not that long ago, Morris Day suggested that Andre Simone actually wrote Do Me Baby and that that was one of the reasons that they fell out as friends. So I, like, I don't know, I ain't in it, I wasn't there, but I just thought that was very interesting because why would Prince put out there his best work if it was some? I mean, he has a lot of other ballads he could have used. Why would he use that example? But then at the same time, why would Andre Simone lie to Morris Day about saying he wrote the song? So I'm not, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Because the other weird thing in the book that the book does later, and, and these were choices made after his passing, but the book um, prints the lyrics, Prince, Prince, Prince's handwritten lyrics to Party Up from Dirty Mind. And it's common knowledge, you know, even before Morris wrote the book, but Morris even brings it up in his book, that he wrote Party Up because um, when Warner Brothers heard Dirty Mind, they thought it was too rock, and they wanted one kind of funky song for Prince to add to the album, you know, to get his I Want to Be Your Lover and Soft and Wet audience. And Morris wrote that song. And as a return for the favor, Prince agreed to help Morris Day and the group The Time sign to a record deal. So, I mean, I just I thought that was common as the sun comes up in the morning. You know, again, so I don't know. So... Uh, again, of all the songs that you could print the lyrics to in this book, why would you print one that is that there's some dispute about whether Prince actually wrote it when you have so many other songs to um, deal with? But I ain't Dan. I ain't Dan's editor. So I'm just speaking my truth on the subject matter. Um, but I always have to, you know, bring it up, always bringing up my faves. And speaking of those early days, Prince also talks about um, his influences, which includes, if you listen to this show for any amount of time, one of my all-time faves, if not my all-time fave, Shaka Khan. He mentions her a number of times, first when he's talking about how much he loves Sweet Thing, 
um, when it came out by Rufus featuring Shaka Khan. And he calls it, he considered it one of the first ballads that was also really funky, you know, because that was in the era of the 70s of the funk bands. And he felt it was a ballad, you know, making love and everything like that. But it was really funky. He writes, everything about the lyric and vocal performance is flawless. Perfect note selection on the of the melody, but more than that, a totally believable singer, and we buy every single word. Now the arrangement, the guitar, bass, and drums make this jam. It's one of the funkiest slow songs that came out um, at the time. So I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he has this really interesting theory about singers who are funky singers at that he says um, truly funky singers actually sound like they're singing in everyday conversation look at an interview with some of the greats you know the names if you feel like dancing when they're just while they're just talking that's funk you know, I was kind of like, well, that's kind of because I was going through my own little personal examples of people I consider funky, including Shaka. And, um, I, you know, I was, I was thinking there was some truth to that. So then he discusses what he calls perhaps his favorite Rufus and Shaka Khan album, Rufus Eyes. He writes, the piano intro to Pack My Bags left me with butterflies. I remember trying to tell my friends how I felt about this music, but nobody seemed to understand. So that's, you know, of course, I like that part about Shaka. And again, this is still the part of the memoir where we're in his early days, where he's developing as a songwriter. Um, and one really bizarre song, he has one really bizarre song called Vagina. Now, if you recall from my review of the Morris Day memoir, Prince originally wanted to call Vanity Vagina. So I guess this song was the prototype. But anyway, here are some of the lyrics. Okay. <clears throat> Vagina was half boy, half girl. Her hair was shorter than mine. She told me she lived in the city. I never knew when she was lying. First saw her in a gay bar, kissing another girl. I told her, baby, I'm a looking for a turn on. And she said, welcome to my world. Okay, vagina. And, so the, and then we get to the chorus, okay. Vagina was half boy, half girl. She showed me how to dance. We used to do it with the TV on. A political romance. So... I don't know. That's just a weird. That's one I might have needed to stay in the vault. I just think Prince had some really um, odd ideas about gender. I don't, not necessarily progressive, um, because they were really not grounded in any kind of reality aside from his own fantasies. You know what I mean? Which I, you know, which I guess um, that was his thing. I mean, all of his. You know, little he wasn't riding a little red Corvette either, and ain't no such thing as purple rain. So I guess all of his stuff is kind of um, grounded in his fantasies. But you know, this one was um, a little bizarre. So then the book goes on to include an early purple rain synopsis where Prince plays the role. Oh yeah, this y'all. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so he wrote a treatment. You know how you write a treatment. It's not the script. It's like 10 pages or so where you just tell the story of what a film's going to be. A lot of times that's done before the script. But the early version of Purple Rain, Prince somehow wanted to play himself or the artist, and he also wanted to play the role of his own mother by wearing hoop earrings. Just... I like yeah, I don't know I I don't just I don't know what to make of that. Um now then another aspect of the book so this is kind of like the early days and stuff like that and then it kind of moves to revolve around when Prince flew out to LA to sign his deal with Warner Brothers. And this there's there's a lot of photos um with this one it's like he almost took a little photo diary it's almost like his Insta his back in the day IG of his time um, recording his first album out in L.A. So you see one with a hot comb along with his first Warner Brothers check. And you see another of a Sunset Boulevard billboard for Minnie Ripperton. It's her birthday last week, so happy birthday. Minnie Ripperton's Stay in Love album. And he captioned it, This Broad Could Stop Traffic. So there's a lot of interesting visual stuff like that. Later, it includes the storyboard for the Kiss video. Um, one thing I always, um, read artists' memoirs for is just to get their take on how they approach creativity. And that's really, even aside from all the dirt and stuff like that, I get, I want a human story. Like, I'm looking for this Robin Crawford book. I want a human story. I want to be, I want to understand, I want to feel the relationship. You know what I'm saying? Um, but mostly I'm trying, I just would like to know how people approach creativity. And the Beautiful Ones offer some really interesting insights on this. For one, Prince was um, definitely into creative visualization, you know, where you imagine what you want and you, you know, kind of meditate on that from a very young age. He writes, things I wanted to happen, I would write or type. Looking back at those lists now, most everything came true. Another interesting creative ob observation he made was while he was recording his debut album. He says, I wanted to make a different sounding record. We originally planned to use horns, but it's hard to sound different if you use the same instruments. By not using horns on this record, I could make an album that would sound different right away. So I created a different kind of horn section by multi-tracking a synthesizer and some guitar lines. And again, this goes back to something I was talking about with the Morris Day memoir and how the Minneapolis sounds in many ways is like 70s funk with all those horns and stuff only translated um, into synthesizers. And if you listen to songs now, like with that, thinking that it... um really you you really start to hear like especially in like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis stuff especially listening to like control and stuff if you imagine the synthesizers were actually horns it just is a whole different feel and it really does make sense so um but i think one of my favorite of his observations about making art came when he was discussing his goals for the goal for the for the book he writes i want to tell people to create just start by creating your day, then create your life. Definitely words that I try to live by. I'm going to read that one more time. Somebody, somebody out there needs to hear that one more again. 
I want to tell people to create. Just start create. Just now I'm about to read it again because I messed it up. Okay. I want to tell people to create. Just start by creating your day. Then create your life. All right now. Um, so that's my take on the Prince book. You know, it's definitely a nice keepsake. It has some nice pictures, so you might want to buy the actual book instead of the Kindle. Um, it definitely will make a good holiday gift for the Prince lover in your life. And now I'm going to hurry back to work so you might be able to give the, my Janet book as a holiday gift to the Janet Jackson lover in your life. And like I said, the podcast might be a little sp- um, sporadic, but just know that my heart is always with y'all and I still appreciate y'all's support. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to get something right for y'all. So just, just give me a little slack for a little time. Um, I would appreciate it. But as I stated, I will definitely announce the book first on podcast. That's where I will say, hey, y'all go to Amazon. It's out. And I can't wait to get back to y'all soon. So until then, be cool, be kind, be creative. And in the word of mine and Prince's phase, let's see if y'all can dance to this. Be your damn self. (laughs) Get a beat going. Be your damn self. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Well, I love y'all. Thanks so much for listening. And I will talk to y'all next time. Bye. Love y'all.